Welcome to All Villa, No Filler. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is an interview special with one of the best football journalists around and one of the best Santa Claus impersonators by the look of it, Sam Tights. Great to have you back on, Sam. Oh, it's good to be here, buddy. Good to be here. I dressed up for the occasion. Look, I'm sure if I tilt my head slightly, you can all see my Aston yeah. Villa themed Santa hat. Um, uh, well, I, I genuinely have no idea where I got this. Like, <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Like, where did this pop up in my life? But it's been here for a while. Every year I get to put it on. This year, it's been it's it's being worn more proudly than ever. Absolutely. Um, the presents are flowing in from uh, from all of the teams at the moment with the points are picking up. Um, look, it's the question on everybody's lips. Are Aston Villa in a title race? Dare we say it, Sam? I'll leave it to others to say that, Frankie. Uh, I, and there's been no shortage of fans who have who have put Villa's name into the ring here. So, like, I'm the sort of person who would just assume that even if Villa were given, they had one, they were, they were what, three points clear, final day of the season, home game against the bottom club. <laughs> a situation not unlike this Friday. Yeah. And all Villa needed was a point at home to win the title, I would be adamant they wouldn't do it yeah. because I am a battered and bruised fan. So um, I'm trying to protect my emotions. I'm just trying to enjoy the ride. I feel a lot like Spurs fans from four weeks ago. Remember mm. before Spurs kind of fell off the cliff a little bit due to the injuries and suspensions they sustained. Um, everyone tried to keep putting Spurs into the title race and all the fans were saying, can you just leave us alone? Mm. We're just trying to enjoy what is a very nice period for the club. That's my mantra. <laughs> but if we get to March and things are still looking like this, I'll start to change my tune a little bit. But the football season is a, it takes a very long time to elapse, Frankie. We're not even halfway through yet. Uh, I'm just trying to protect myself right now. How about you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, look, football's football's there for dreamers, isn't it? All football fans sh- should dream and. Uh... I mean, I, I, my first season I ever supported Villa was the 92-93 season where we finished second. Uh, and then I do remember the, the John Gregory 98-99 run as well. And then that all fell apart. And then even in the Martin O'Neill era, there was a period where we were top three, I think, in like February or something. Top, top at Christmas, I think, was one. Um, yeah. 08-09 area, definitely top at Christmas. And then obviously, I think that was the season, the Cisco Moscow nonsense yeah. happens so this is what i mean when i say it's a, a, a long old season a hell of a lot can happen over the course of three months um I mean, villa have got to play what three games in the space of about eight days coming up very soon and you know with the ability to take or lose nine points for every team in this league in the space of eight days like the table could look really really different so like you just have to remember these things as you go it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it and that's exactly yeah. what i'm doing I'm enjoying every game um i'm loving the fact that i can sit there and you know watch the the concession against Brentford and not get too worked up because mm. like I have a lot of faith in the team and they've earned my patience. Yeah. Um. So that's great. Uh, enjoy the wins, enjoy the points, enjoy the goals, enjoy the fact that you, you have faith in the team to come back from these scenarios, which actually wasn't the case. Like again, two months ago, yeah. it, it was early in the season that if, if Villa went one nil down in the away game, that was it. They were going to lose for the most part. Mm. That's changed. So, you know, it keeps rolling, keeps improving, keeps ramping up over the course of the season. 
just enjoying it, mate. Just enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very special time, a very unique time to support Villa. Um, you know, no matter what comes, and uh, you know, given what's happened in recent weeks, you know, beat Tottenham away, um, a draw against an extremely good Bournemouth side who uh, have been showing us how good they are by going to Old Trafford and winning three 0 and getting really good results recently. Very hard fought draw, which it now in reflection looks like a really good result. Um, yeah. And then after that. Beating Manchester City in one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen, maybe the best performance. Three days later beating Arsenal. Are we? I mean, is this is this the greatest run of performances you've ever seen from an Aston Villa team? I think in all the time you've supported it. Uh probably because mm. uh, like uh, you have to scratch the memory banks, don't you? Um, obviously, ten wins in a row in the Championship to get into the playoffs is yeah. one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Yeah. But you have to take into account the level of quality. Um, and Villa really had been underperforming up until that point and had a bit of a cheat code team. You know, having a midfield duo of Jack Grealish and John McGinn in the championship yeah. isn't particularly fair. Um, <laughs> and it, 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 it so turned out that even if you go to a place like Rotherham and get reduced to 10 men, you can still play them off the park because you are that good. So that's a hell of a run and that will never leave me. But this, at a much more advanced level, juggling European competition as well, travelling you know, in and out of Bosnia and in and out of AZ Alkmaar, uh, you know, in terms of these this run that, that Villa have been on here, um, it's it's quite remarkable. It, it really is. And I just keep looking down the fixture list, and it's just such a shame about that Bournemouth game because it just would be... Mm. Would that would that be it'd be a lot of wins, <laughs> be yeah. a lot of wins in a row, if not. But it is a, it is a great unbeaten streak. I can't remember what like runs Villa went on back in the Gareth Barry James Milner midfield duo era. Like I can't remember if there was a run like this when we talked earlier about the um the fact that Villa were top of Christmas around that time. I mean, presumably that was an excellent run, mm. and it, it would have had some incredible finales in it, like the uh, Ashley Young Goodison Park moment. Mm. So maybe maybe I have seen it, but recency bias would tell me that this is the best, uh, notwithstanding the 10 games in the championship. We can't forget that. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think I remember in the O'Neill era, there was a, was it like we won seven or eight away games in a row or something like that? I feel like we that... were much better away from home, yeah. we? where we could counterattack. Exactly that. I think when we had to break down any team that defended against us at home, we were very, we were quite one dimensional, which I think every single us. game at home felt like we were playing Stoke. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And, it was, uh... yeah. and I think I say that because I was, I think I distinctly remember John Carew's ridiculous goal <laughs> yeah. uh, against Stoke. And yeah. obviously already one nil down at the time. And, and that those problems were causing huge. So those games were causing huge problems for Villa hmm. um, where teams would just rock up and be like, all right, we'll just try and break us down then. And look, there's, there's, there's a bit of that happening now. You know, yeah. there's, we're starting to see that forest forest did it. Brentford did it. Brentford always do that against the, the top sides. Um, and it's just pleasing to see that Villa can come up with the answers uh, yeah. because that hasn't necessarily always been the case. Mm, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think yeah, that's going to be the test for the season going. I still think that Nottingham Forest game is in the back of my mind. And, you know, Brentford, I mean, it's so difficult to score at their place. Very few people go there and win, which again is a great sign of the, of the mm. fact we actually did, uh, particularly with the player back five and a four in midfield. So tight. It's, it, I mean, they're so well coached at home. Yeah, but, there, um, there, were, there were certain t- moments in that game of watching it with my wife and often try and point stuff out to her as she's she's trying to figure the tactics out herself and I'm like look at look at how close all of their players are together look, look look at the look at the, the d around the box mm. and look at the nine red and white striped shirts that you can see all within sort of like 20 square meters of each other yeah. it's absurd yeah and this is this is what they do 
And look, to be honest, that game may not turn out as good if Ben Mee doesn't, you know, do what do what he does. Um, he's like a he's like a bull seeing a red cloth, isn't he? When he sees a Villa shirt, what what, what is going on? He I don't sees, I don't understand it at all. He sees that rampant lion on the badge, and he just feels the urge to take it out. Maybe in a past life, he was a gladiator fighting a lion in a, <laughs> in a coliseum or something. But it's it's bizarre because he's yeah, he is a player who doesn't seem to get. I mean, he's what is it? His first red card or something like that? And uh... was it his first one for ten seasons or something? They said on the commentary. I can't remember, but it was obviously they don't happen very often. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think I can think of uh, a foul he should have got a red card for against a guy called Wesley a couple of years uh-huh. ago. But um, but you know. Uh, with Villa at the moment, um, who do you think are Villa's three most important players right now, if you had to say? It's a pretty difficult choice, I think. No, 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 no. This is not difficult. Because oh, okay. what, what would be difficult is to rank the three. Right. But the three are Douglas Luiz, Emmy Martinez, Ollie Watkins. Yeah. I, I I believe. I agree. And that's not to that's not to disrespect a lot of what the other players are bringing to the table. Uh, and we could go through the whole team if you wanted to and talk about, you know, what Pau Torres gives you in possession, what John McGinn gives you in terms of dual winning and counter-pressing. Like, the, the list is endless. Mm. Um, but Watkins is obviously the best striker at the club by far, and you need cutting edge if you're going to win games. Uh, Douglas Louise is the player that makes everything tick in the middle, and when he doesn't play, it's really, really obvious to Villa. Mm. And Emmy Martinez is so far ahead of Robin Olsen, and yeah. so unique in the context of his style that he is clearly one of the most important players. And if Emi Martinez was injured for a stretch, Villa would not be able to play the high line. Mm. Like, think of the cascading knock-on effects yeah. that an Emi Martinez injury would make to the rest of the team, to the defensive yeah. line height, to their ability to play the high line to the ability to then press the ball higher up, the distances between the lines, for John McGinn's ability to roam and, and destroy. Like, I hope we don't see it, but like the knock-on effect would be quite would be quite severe. And mm-hmm. I think it would impact pretty much every area of the pitch. So there is an argument for me to say that Emmy Martinez is the most important. Yeah. Um, but that's not a particularly fashionable answer because goalkeepers don't necessarily tend to get that respect. I think exactly. Do you know, I was thinking that with Emmy Martinez, given where Villa are in the league right now, and given the fact that every single game he makes a save where you go, I cannot believe he's just saved that. Yeah. It's an argument to be made that he might actually be. If they were to do the PFA player of the season right now, he's like got a quite a strong case to be one of the contenders for it. So the, if you look at some, I was actually looking at this yesterday, funnily enough, so I'm just going to pull this up now, but um, the advanced uh, goalkeeping statistics on FB Ref, so just done by Opta, and just looking at uh, Martinez against his 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 uh, his uh, stop drinking my water cat uh, <laughs> his fellow goalkeepers um, so they've got a measurement which is called PSXG right it's post shot expected goals plus or minus mm. what that means for those that don't know is opt to measure the XG value of every shot that a goalkeeper faces and look at how many goals they concede and then they go a plus or minus figure on like have you saved more than you would expect, expect you to or fewer than you would have been expected to based on the shots that you faced. Top of the league is Vicario, who has prevented 5.0 more goals than expected based on the shots that he's faced. Wow. And then joint second, Allison and Emmy Martinez, 4.1 in the positive. Wow. Now, to give you the other end of the spectrum, just in case you cared, Mark Flecken, Brentford, minus 4.8. 
not having a great season from a shot stopping yeah. perspective. And then they've got other stuff as well. Like, you know, they've got the passing stuff, but they've got the sweeping actions and the crosses stopped, which I find very interesting. Emi Martinez, 12.4% stopped crosses. I think he's second in the league. No, third in the league. My, ex- okay. uh, my, my mistake, sorry. Outside of the penalty area actions per 90. Emi Martinez, second in the league behind wow. Vicario. So starting to paint a picture there where I think, I think on balance, Vicario has been the best goalkeeper in the league this season. Yeah. I think he also has the most clean sheets. Um, so I think that checks out. But Martinez is top three across mm. the league. Um, and it's very obvious from a number of different standpoints, you know, cross-claiming, pressure relief, um, sweeping up behind the defense, you know, more than two, more than two per game, mm. uh, and saving 4.1 more goals than you'd expect. He's been one of the best players in the league this season. Absolutely. He's been he's been phenomenal. And it, it's just when he comes out for a cross as well, you're just in your head, you think. If when you see him coming for it, you think, oh, he's got it. It's fine. Yeah. We're all right. We're okay. Uh, and that's not a feeling I've, I've had at Villa for a very long time with some previous goalkeepers we've had. I just um, remember that I remember the switch from Given to Guzan that really made me appreciate a keeper that will come off his line and claim a cross. Because yeah. Given obviously used to stand on his line the entire time and eventually the ball would be kicked in, hacked in, because he'd be stood, he'd be stood there too scared to come and get it. But Guzan, for some of his faults, he used to come out and claim those crosses like no tomorrow. And I really appreciated that proactive proactive attitude. Yeah. And ever since Guzan, I've really, really looked for that in a goalkeeper. And Martinez is right up there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, with Villa, as, as well as things are going at the moment, do you see any areas that you still think oh, it's a bit of a weakness is there are there any areas that concern you sort of going forward um i mean look there's you have to caveat this this discussion which is which is ultimately about like you know what could you possibly fix in january yeah you have to caveat it with the fact that i'm pretty sure that villa don't have that much wiggle room on ffp yeah um just just off the back of not selling too much uh to balance the books I know obviously some academy sales will help, but it's still not an astronomical figure. Yeah. Um, Diaby was more than the combined fees of all of those players that Villa sold in the summer. Um, the fact that any fees that Villa might get in January, you'd feel would be quite low. Like, let, like who's who's potentially on the chopping block? I mean, it's clear that they don't trust Dendonka. Mm-hmm. How much is he going to fetch? Five million maximum. Yeah. Bertrand Traore is his contract comes up at the end of the season. So he'd, I reckon he'd be released on a free or for like a 2 million fee, something like that. Good to get the wages off the books, but you're not going to get too much in terms of a fee. Tim Robinen is probably going to go. Again, not much. Not going to be worth much. And then you've got... What I keep coming back to, mate, is this... The terms and conditions on this Nicolo Zaniolo deal, which just looked like a Klarna deal. Didn't they? <laughs> It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, I can't afford this coat, but I want it. So I'm going to pay in 85 installments. And, and like, it, you know, this is, this is Monchi, you know, having spent time in, in Italy, learning the art of a, of a, of a back structured deal <laughs> yeah. and, and working his way around what is probably a bit of a, a bit of a stopper from FFP. Mm. So I do struggle to believe that, that whatever I say next can actually be fixed, but mm. right back still bothers me. Yeah. Like it, it just does. And like, Esri's been really good there. You know, he's been really, really good, serviceable there. I, I, I still do kind of want him back in the middle because I liked his I liked his partnership with Torres, but Carl, Diego Carlos is starting to play really well. So I get it. And generally speaking, like Villa have been have been very good in this alignment uh, uh, well recently. But I don't like Cash at right mid. No. And I don't like Conser 
at right back as a as a combination of the two. And I still think that Villa look light there. And when you start to wrap in the midweeks and when you start to do the European travelling again in March, it just feels stretched. And yeah. I just I would have bought one in the summer and I, I would buy one in the winter, but I don't know if they can. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you're right. I think when Cash plays further forward on the right, he um he looks uncomfortable with his back to goal, back to sort of the goal we're playing towards. Mm. Um, and he um he's he's not too confident of beating a man like break, breaking a low block. So I I think there's I, I just get the vibe that you know he's in and out of the team a little bit at the moment. That Emery might be looking at that as saying to Monchi, that's probably where we I'd like to strengthen. Yeah, I'm not saying like. You know, he should be sold, but like, yeah. I mean, obviously, going into the summer, we did have our questions, didn't we, about whether or not Emery was Emery was fully convinced by Cash, mm. and and while initially he's done, he did well to start the season again last month or so. It's brought back those questions, hasn't it? Mm. Like, Cash is 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 on the bench a lot, yeah. or he's playing right mid a lot. Yeah, and he gets the he gets the game against Zrinski, which is like the biggest throwaway game ever. Like. <laughs> If you're if you're starting against Rinsky and you you're not coming back from injury or you're not Paul Torres, you should be worried. Yeah, you'd be worried about your place in the team, and and, and that goes for the lot of them. It goes for Dendonker, it goes for goes for almost everybody except for well Torres and Konza, I guess. Hmm. Um, but I would I would I would certainly look in that area in the market in January if there's wiggle room. Like hmm. my ideal signing would be Kyle Walker Peters. Yeah, um, I remember you mentioned him before as well. But and he's absolutely ripped the championship a new one uh, in the time that since we spoke about that. So there's there's no concerns over the quality. He could play left and right. He would presumably be okay with a rotation role because he's currently in the championship. And, and it, Saints are going to have to do the playoffs at best. You know they're already ten points off the top two. So that seems like a a, a goer. And then the other name I would have mentioned would be Thierry Correa at Valencia. Okay. Who you know La Liga is a place that Monchi and his staff know really really well. So they'll be aware of him. Valencia love a sale. They love a sale. I reckon <laughs> I reckon 10 to 12 million gets Thierry Correa and I think he's really good. So there are possibilities here. I just, I just don't know what the wiggle room is. Like what if yeah. they need to sell four players to make it happen? Well, frankly, that might not be possible anyway because the Villa even have four players to sell. I know we talked about the names, but can the squad handle four departures? It's mm. already a small squad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking at that squad and we sort of talked about the right-hand side, I mean... How, you know, we talked about Tielemans at the start of the season in quite mm. in depth and uh, Leon Bailey as well, we've talked about. And Bailey was a player that, to be honest, I'd sort of lost faith in really to ever find consistency. But the way those two, ever since the Altmar game, where we won 4-1, the way those two have risen and found quite a nice partnership as well, actually, on the right-hand side. How Are you amazed at just how well they're doing, the two of them? Yeah, yes, mm, maybe. I'm amazed at Bailey. Um yeah. Although he always gives you that moment in a game where he just fails to control a football and you just go, what is this guy? <laughs> but then but then yeah. five minutes later, he whips it across that yeah. creates a goal and you're like, ah, cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you know, give, give him the ball five times. He loses it three times. He wins a corner the fourth time, but the fifth one's a goal. Yeah. And like that, he is, he is who he is, right? Taylor Lemons has been very interesting. I've taken a bit of stick from some Villa fans over the last... A uh, few weeks or last month or so, because I was so doubtful of Telemans, yeah. and I'll, I'll, you know, I'm the first to say that I've been impressed with him over the last month or so. It took an alarming amount of time for him to put in anything at all. You know, it was yeah. two months of nothing, yeah. And I was feeling pretty worried about that. But what I would say is that his his good performances have not come 
in the area of the pitch that I think he was signed to play. Mm. So if he was the Douglas Louise rotator and the player to step in at the base of midfield, he has not played well there once, from what I can tell. Mm. 15 minutes at the end against Palace aside, I don't think he's played there well once. And the Bournemouth game, he was he was in there and you know he really struggled, although they all did. It's it's Emery basically finding other areas of the pitch to play him in. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I'll play you at 10. I'll play on the left. And I know he didn't play well on the left against Newcastle opening day, but again, asterisk. Yeah. Generally speaking, he's played anywhere but the position I think he was actually signed to play. <laughs> and over the last month or so, it started to come good. Yeah, You know, I don't know what the injury was that kept him out at the weekend. I I, I thought he was just coming off against Arsenal because he was knackered. Yeah. yeah. But maybe, maybe he had... Maybe he had a tweak. Again, that was yeah. some high intensity running right there. And he had done very little of that for six months. Yeah. It it's it is quite it's quite amazing how much effort they, they, these guys are putting in at the moment. Um, you know, with the three games we've got coming up now, Sheffield United on Friday, the game where all goes to plan, we could be top of the tree. Um, <laughs> Manchester United a few days after away at Old Trafford and then Burnley. Three games that won't be with Bubakar Kamara after his red card. Uh, mm. Silly red card against Brentford. Um, how are you feeling about those games? I think I think genuinely, if you're going to lose Kamara for three games, obviously you want him at Old Trafford. But Sheffield United and Burnley at home, like surely that's like, if you were to, to paint up the two fixtures, that you'd be like, okay, if we're going to lose a really important midfielder like who could we where could we lose him and this has got to be it hasn't it yeah this has got to be it yeah. and it's not got that it's i don't think it's got that kind of like um false dawn vibe to it that like you know a lot of people would have said that losing camera for bournemouth wasn't going to be that much of a problem but mm-hmm. bournemouth are so physical that you were like no no this is actually a problem i don't it certainly don't see that from burnley and i don't necessarily see that from sheffield united so just losing him for old trafford stings a bit yeah, but after we'll have to find a solution. Uh, probably McGinn in midfield again for the foreseeable future, um, unless Tiedemans is back in uh, and back fit. I don't know. By the way, on on McGinn, so I share this with you because it's been bugging me since Sunday. I got a Argentinian ESPN stream for the Sunday game, and there was a legendary Argentinian commentator on the microphone. Uh, he sang songs about the Villa players. Okay. <laughs> he he sang he sang a song about Dibu Martinez, and then when Alex Moreno scored, he made up a song on the spot about Alex Moreno, which was amazing. <laughs> which is amazing, and I think I'll take a lot away from that. But one thing I can't get out of my head is the way they pronounce McGinn. Right. They call him Mac Gin. Okay. Right. So there's an emphasis on Mac. I think probably from McAllister. Yeah. So they don't say Mook, they say Mac, and then they called him Mac Gin. Right. So every time he got the ball, they go McGin. <laughs> okay. And in my head since Sunday, I've been calling him John McGin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> having to switch back to McGin. It's so difficult. Yeah. So so difficult. But wow, what a stream! What a, what an yeah. experience the Argentinian ESPN stream is when you watch Villa. <laughs> they they love Martinez so much, and yeah. they love Villa as a result. Like the love, like the, it was such openly supporting Villa on the stream against Brentford. Yeah, it, it actually uh, dawned on me how big it was in the sense uh, I was in Barcelona like two months ago for work and uh, went to a bar, got changed with this Argentinian guy and um, uh, I said, oh, you know, Argentina, I support a team that has a big Argentinian player, uh, Emi Martinez, and they were just 
losing their minds. I got a free drink out of it. I mean, that's how big it is. You know. <laughs> to, have, to have a World Cup winner, it's like, you know, it gets you free drinks. You should try it out if you ever meet uh, an Argentinian by any chance at a bar. So, so yeah, that was um, that was my one Martinez story. I just want to thank him for that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, given where Villa are in the league at the moment, you know, um, currently riding high, you never know if things change a lot. But, you know, what do you think um, the minimum would be for this season now, really, given where we are and where some of our rivals, Man United, 10 points behind, Newcastle, nine points behind. Uh, where do you think the minimum is now for Villa? Yeah, it, the, the, the minimum has definitely shifted. I think pre-season yeah. we were talking about minimum is like anything below eighth is not acceptable. Uh, getting back into Europe, juggling the schedule would be would be good. Mm. Um, three weeks ago, I was thinking, right, well, sixth has to be the minimum. And now I look at it and I think, well, if you finish below fifth, something's gone really wrong. Yeah. So as time wears on and the points keep going and the, the cards keep falling for Villa as well, like, you know, Moreno's back, Ramsey's back, the squad is the squad is looking good. Watkins has kept his form. Um, you know, Douglas Louise a month ago there was a little bit of concern about whether or not Arsenal would come in, and it looks like that one's just gonna that they're just gonna park that one because they know they can't get in mid-season. Um what else has happened? Villa finished top of the group. They don't have to play a European game in February. You know, they don't have to step in until March the 7th. And then the home leg is March the 14th. What a blessing that is to not have to play those two games in February to do that traveling, to muddle that schedule. All these cards keep dropping in Villa's favor and it just keeps pushing the bar up and up and up. So now my official answer is a minimum is fifth. Mm -hmm. After the start that's been made and the mentality of this team that you can trust the minimum is fifth. Yeah. But quite frankly, I think I'll, at this point, I'll be disappointed if Villa don't finish fourth. Yeah. Um, it, a lot depends on the European campaign and, and all that stuff. I, I know. But at this point, from where we stand, fourth seems like it, it has to be the goal. And, and and I reckon fans would be quite upset if we, like taking the account into account, like how we're feeling right now and, and how mm. it's going. I think they'd be quite upset if we don't finish fourth. Um, but, Obviously, we all understand that there are a, there's a lot of football to play. Injuries can change everything. Suspensions can change everything. Anything can happen. Mm. And uh, yeah, absolutely. That it's um, it's it's still so hard as a Villa fan. To, you know, we've we've had such near misses and crushing disappointments for so long. It's sort of, it's always hard to like truly believe. But you, the evidence before our eyes is 15 home games in a row that we've won and. A, a full year of just incredible performances. Like you, yeah, I think you, we have to just look at it and go, yeah, it, like Champions League now is like feels like the bare minimum. Uh, given although Tottenham, you know, are likely to get a few of their big players back quite soon, and I imagine we'll go on a better run again. But it's going to be competitive for sure. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe on, on Spurs. What's the, what's the gap to Spurs? Thirty three to to thirty eight, five points. Tottenham are going to get hit really hard by the Africa Cup of Nations. Hmm. Um. Actually, that might be a reason why Villa just can't sell Bertrand Traore. I guess he's going to be out there for Burkina Faso and, and just mm. not really able to do a deal. Um, but Tottenham are going to get hit hard, right? They're going to lose Basuma again. They're going to lose Papsar again. Um, are they going to lose one more? I think there's another player somewhere in there, um, which is going to make things difficult. So again, their midfield's going to get kind of wiped out a little bit. Uh, I think the plan was to have Benton Kerr, but unfortunately he, he got injured. Um sparked an interesting set of social media interactions, doesn't it? That one. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, Tot Tottenham are gonna are gonna suffer in January more than Villa for sure. Okay. Um Newcastle 
Newcastle have a lot of players injured. Mm. And the thing with Newcastle is like I, I absolutely I think they're brilliant. And I think like I've full of respect for their their play style. And when they're on it, goodness me, can they run you over? Oh yeah. But the thing with Newcastle is that if they're not on it, that their entire player style, their play style is intensity. That's like that is that is how they define themselves. If they are not on it, if they can't reach those intense intensity levels, they're actually significantly worse as a team because they can't control the game by yeah. being on the ball. They control games through sheer energy and intensity. So as the injuries rack up and the games rack up and Eddie Howe finds it difficult, more and more difficult to, to find that freshness, their ability to control games and therefore win games dips quite significantly. Mm. And again, that just kind of works in Villa's favour, who... We're a bit more like Newcastle last season, but this year really just want to control games by having the ball and controlling tempo, yeah. which when you have to play, you know, potentially 55 games in a season, that is the right way to go about things. And that is the right way to manage your fitness levels and maintain a, a grip of control over games consistently, no matter who's there, no matter how intense the schedule is. Mm. So I look at all that and I just think, no, Villa have every chance. Yeah, they really absolutely. do. They have every yeah. chance of outlasting Newcastle over the course of thirty-eight. Every chance of get of, of opening up an even bigger gap on Tottenham by the end of January, and then that might be enough. It's exciting, <sighs> isn't it? See what I mean? Yeah, I'm sort of, <laughs> I'm, sm I'm smiling. I'm grinning. It's, it's exciting. It's uh, yeah, and also you know uh, something that is interesting to keep an eye on is how. This season, the right-hand side has really come alive thanks to the form of Bailey. I think Tielemans going up there has worked. Um, the left-hand side was decimated at the start of the season with Ramsey, Moreno mm. and uh, Tyra Mings all been injured and, and Buendia as well. Um, but now Moreno and Ramsey are coming back at exactly the same time. I think there's actually scope for growth and for a new dynamic to emerge at Villa with Paul Torres there as well on the left-hand side, which I think could it, it could be like almost perfect timing. If we can just avoid inj any more injuries, that. Suddenly, it's like things just feel like they could be falling into place a bit. I know, I know. I, I, I'm hoping that Ramsey he finds that level of sharpness in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, um, because it's not there at the moment. It's it's getting better. Mm. Um, quite obviously, it's getting better. I forget which game he came on uh, on against us. I'll just have a quick quick look because um, obviously he came he came against Brighton the first time he returned and immediately scored yeah. and then he was out again for a while um, Tottenham he came on for one minute passed the ball straight out of play uh, Legia wasn't so sharp Bournemouth he really struggled with the intensity on that yeah. game I thought I mean obviously everybody was but um, they, he lost a lot of duels he lost six duels in 15 minutes yeah. um, City he was fine you know doesn't get too much to play Zrinski was not it was not a real game of football <laughs> But then Brentford was like, there were signs of life. Yeah, there were. Unfortunately, yeah. he skewed that finish wide, like really yeah. badly wide when he got let through. But like the dynamism was there. I think against Arsenal, his ability to run off the ball and, and, and carry the ball was really important in seeing out the result. You're starting to see those signs now that Ramsey's getting there. But what he really needs to do is hit one ball really sweetly into the corner. Yeah. And he'll know his confidence levels will shoot through the roof and he'll yeah. be back. And he's, and he's, so done, when, he's done that before as well. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's he, he he can place the ball in the corner beautifully. So that's what I want to see. And then mm. it really from the in the next game against Sheffield United, like give give me Jacob Ramsey, get 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 me a Jacob Ramsey goal, and I think this left side is back because Moreno is there. He's already there. Yeah, he's got no problems at all. Like, yeah, it's I'm amazing. stunned. I'm stunned. Like, 
he played about 115 minutes at the weekend. He mm. looked like he was about to die at the final whistle. <laughs> um, and he hadn't played 90 minutes since like May or something. Yeah. That was an incredible effort. And he he's not lacking sharpness. He's no, not he's not all. he's not finding things. He's bursting past players. He's overlapping the overlapping run that he made when he should have shot earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was this is it. He's he's fine. Yeah. And if Ramsey can just just find you know three games in eight days, if he can just find that as well, the left side is back. Yeah, it really is. Um, and also, you know, we've got a little bit of breaking news while we're recording this. So that just uh, Chris Heck has paused plans to redevelop Villa Park. I'm reading from a John Townley tweet from the. Uh, Birmingham Mal and uh, it said that it's currently a bad idea to demolish the North Stand um, and it would have reduced Villa Park's capacity to 36,000 from next season and until 2025-26. So that's so that's now been delayed, essentially. Um, that might be a sign that they're anticipating Champions League football, I would say. Do you Just, think? I, well, I think if we got Champions League and that th- and the North Sand was gone next year, that suddenly all that revenue we're probably missing out on. I guess be, so. You know, is this? Do you need a tin for hat or? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my that's my uh, reckless speculation here. Uh, but who who knows? Honestly, yeah. who knows? I mean, the North Stand is terrible. Um, yes, it, need, it needs ob- to go. Yeah. Obviously, it's terrible, but. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that other than um, I agree that it would look terrible on a cha- on a Tuesday night broadcast hmm. um, if there was just three stands. You know, I, I, yeah. it's, it always looks rough, but there's no good time to do these things. No, it's like um, it's like it's like when I was trying to buy a house um, and, and I was worried about the effects of COVID on the economy. And I said to my dad, I don't think this is the right time. Daddy goes, Sam. If you're looking for the perfect time to buy a house, it doesn't exist. You'll yeah, never find yeah. it. Yeah. And it's probably the same thing with when you when you have to unfortunately go through the pains of uh, knocking down, demolishing and rebuilding stadiums. It, yeah. it just doesn't work at all. Sevilla are completely redesigning their stadium. They're demolishing it on the spot and r- opening it back up again. Right. They announced these amazing plans to do so. They are currently heading for relegation. Wow. Like Sevilla are the Everton of Spain right now and that they've got these amazing plans but everything on the pitch tells you that this is a terrible terrible time you, you just can't you can't draw up the perfect time to do anything in football mm, absolutely uh, in Valencia found that as well with the old Numa style that's been sat there for 15 years empty oh. in the middle of Valencia um, it's yeah it's it's uh, it's difficult and also you know the cost of everything has gone up recently and um, obviously build, I, I'd imagine build it, redeveloping the standards harder plus the transport links, you know, the Birmingham City Council's financial issues as well. It's probably just, like you say, there's no perfect time, uh, but this particularly doesn't feel like a really good time to rebuild. So, <laughs> um, uh, but look, next game, Sheffield United, score prediction? 3-0. Yeah. Why not? That's that's what the, that's what the confidence have put into us now, isn't it? For sure, yeah. Um, home game, Douglas Louise is back. Yeah, why not? I mean, why yeah. not? Why would why would you predict anything else? Um, unless yeah. you are basically convinced that Cameron Archer is going to haunt his his boyhood club, which yeah, is yeah. Ob- obviously very possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't you go for a, a pretty good margin for Villa there? And uh, I know this is not that important, but every time Villa play under the lights, something happens. Something good, something really good happens. Yeah. Um, Villa Park in the dark. It's good stuff. It's true. There's just a vibe in there. And at yeah. the moment, the positive vibes will pass onto the pitch as well. And yeah. my prediction is Zaniolo scores his first goal for Villa. 
uh, in already, the Premier League. I was going to say, he's already got yeah, one, mate. You can't, yeah. you can't take it away from him. He's been yeah. working really hard for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, I hope he takes a lot from that. I thought he looked pretty good at the weekend. He did. Off the bench, like much more sure of himself. Yeah. And also just like able to bounce off tackles a bit more and anticipate contact a bit more in the way that I, I think he even he is a he's a big guy i think even he was a bit like well this league's a bit physical isn't it to start yeah. with yeah. but he didn't he didn't look like he was struggling with that at the weekend when he came off the bench i think he got into that game really well i hope that goal has done it for him yeah because it felt like he just needed something like a goal and now he's got one um that display against brentford was uh was a positive yeah. the only, sign, the only disappointment i've got here is that because he'd missed so many chances i was convinced that his first goal for villa was going to be like an like, like yeah. basically a Puskas award. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just writing all the wrongs and the averages of, of everything. Um, yeah. Like miss 25 chances, but your 26th one is from halfway. <laughs> yeah. And it goes in or something or an overhead kick. He feels like he's been winding up for an overhead kick from a corner all season. Yeah. I'm a bit disappointed that it was just a relatively simple trap and finish. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're exactly right. It kept feeling like, I mean, we were... And we saw the Zrinski game and he had that bicycle kick that he nearly scored. Yeah. And it just, every, the amount of chances he had that you were just like, oh, so close. But it's uh, never going to happen, but it happens. Yeah. And I'm going to say, push gas winner on Friday night. That's what's going to okay. happen uh, in front of the whole end. Um, but, uh, but Sam, you know, before we wrap up, you know, it's Christmas time, as we can see. Uh, favorite Christmas movie. Go on. Give, 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 give the Villa fans, what should we, what should we watch this Christmas? Oh, um, so I do have a list of Christmas films that I watch, but they're not, they're not actually Christmas films. We just do, we do a bit of like, let's call it a Christmas movie marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a, a marathon of Christmas movies. Right. It is a movie marathon at Christmas. Yeah, um, yeah. So we do like, we try to watch like all the Lord of the Rings and all the Star Wars and stuff like that. Um, and so those for, to me are a little bit Christmassy. We started working our way through those. But my actual favorite Christmas film is Klaus. Okay. Do you, know, do you know Klaus? No, I don't know Klaus. No. It's it's an animated one. Okay. And it's amazing. It's okay. absolutely amazing. It's about the origins of Sansa and a kid who is forced to be a postman in <laughs> a faraway island where ter- terrible, terrible things happen. It's right. brilliant. Not enough yeah. people have heard of it. Klaus is on Netflix. It right. is fantastic. I'll check that out. I mean, for for me, it's uh, I'm a bit more. Die Hard, um, where good guys are good guys, bad guys are bad guys. Yeah, I'm all over that. Um, I mean, I think Christmas. I I think that Die Hard is a Christmas film, so you're fine with yeah. that. Don't you're safe here. And and my other film that I also watch at Christmas that isn't a Christmas film, um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. There's just a vibe to it. It feels like okay. cheesy, ridiculous. I'm all about that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> cheesy, ridiculous. I might rename the podcast "Cheesy and Ridiculous." Um, <laughs> but, but but Sam, it's been absolutely brilliant to chat to you. Particularly, it's such a positive time uh, for Villa. Um, but for those who don't know, I'm sure many do. But for those who don't, where can we find you online? Yeah, so all the social media platforms is S Tie Football, S T I G H E Football. Uh, I'm actually tweeting less. Unless <laughs> oh, I, just, I, I can't, can't think why <laughs> yeah. I can't be asked with all the arguments. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, also every time I tweet, I get about six bots offering me fixed, fixed match odds. It's which the bot is, thing. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a really genuinely unusable platform. I'm trying to, I'm trying to post once a day on threads and make it my haven. 
yeah. I never talk about VAR and I and I only talk about nice things. Um, <laughs> but other than that, obviously, I write for ESPN. Uh, I write for Who Scored. I'm on the Who Scored Edge of the Box podcast every other week with a certain other Villa fan, Dan Bardell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can always find me there on those places if you'd like. Brilliant. Well, Sam, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, I look forward to chatting to you again in the near future.